0: Okay, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Job. The book of Job. This is our last message in our series on worship. The title of the message today is Worship During the Losses of Life. Worship During the Losses of Life. Edith was a hardworking single mother in Darlington, Maryland. And she was coming home one day and she had eight children. Can you believe that? A single mom rearing eight children. She comes home one day and the older children are gone, but there are five younger children still there. And normally they're playing in the yard, there's a lot of noise in the house, and everything was eerily quiet. So she walks in not knowing what to expect. She goes in and sees her, sees her five younger children in a perfect circle. And in a perfect circle, they're looking down at the floor and she thoughts, what's going on? So she slips up to where they are, She looks over their shoulder, looks into that circle, and there are five baby skunks. And when she saw that, she was so upset and so stricken, she said, children, run! And each one of them picked up a a skunk and ran off. (laughs) You know, sometimes, sometimes we're going to pick up our own troubles in life, right? Sometimes it's going to be through poor decisions, Sometimes it's going to be through unexpected life events. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about how you worship during those troubled times. During those times of loss and pain. Remember our our, uh, particular definition on on the topic of worship? It is, worship is the occupation of the heart. Not with its needs, nor with its wants, but with God himself. And you see, when we talk about the word occupy, we're talking about creating space for something. So we're talking about the fact that when we are creating space for God, then we're focusing on God. And we know that He is the only one who can help us. He is the only one who can give us strength. He's the only one who can give us comfort. He's the only one who can get us through those those terribly troubled times. Now, it's more than focus. Focus is important. We need to see Him. More than seeing Him, we need to believe Him. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God, and those who come to God must believe that He is. It's more than just seeing Him. It is believing Him. And so in Job, we find the story of a man, and we all know about the story of Job, right? Even those out of the secular world who do not believe the Bible know the story of Job, a man who suffered as much as any person in this world has ever suffered. And so when you look at the story of Job, what's really interesting about this story is God allowed his suffering. And that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around that God would actually do that. Look at Job chapter 1. Let me show you some things that happened to Job during that particular time. Verse 13, Job chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. What a blow. What a blow. Second thing. And while he was still speaking, another one came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep, and the servants consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. A second messenger. Number three. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Three messengers. How would you like to get three emails like that? Right in a row. Pick it up, hit one, read another one, read another one, and read another one. Last one. While he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind, like a tornado, came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the, of the house. And it fell, and the young people, they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. The first thing I noticed about Job, the first loss he suffered was the loss of his wealth. His cattle, his oxen, his sheep, all those things were gone. He was the wealthiest man in the east. And yet he lost everything in a split second. Someone has has looked at his wealth in that day compared to the equivalent of today. And in that day, he would have been worth $56 million today. And he lost it all. He lost his wealth. The second thing I notice is that he lost his family. He had 10 children. They're all at the older brother's house. And they were eating and drinking, and they were having a great time, fellowship, like when you and your family get together. And when they get together, you laugh, you have a great time, you're going through all those things, sitting around the table, telling jokes, telling things on each other, and you're having a great time, and all of a sudden, a tornado comes along. A tornado literally hits the house head on. And it destroys the house, it brings the house down on all of them. Every single one of his children die every one of them. What was his response to that? Look at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and what? Worshipped. He fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Amazing. Now, how did all this transpire? Because there was a meeting in heaven, and God called the council together. And his council was there, and Satan was a part of the council. He was still a fallen angel, but he walks into the midst of that. And God says, you've been going to and fro on the earth. Have you seen my servant Job? He is blameless and upright. There is nothing in him that is wrong. And Satan said, let me have at him. I get at him, I promise you, he will curse your name to your face. And yet he lost all of his wealth. He lost his family. And still Job did not curse God. Job still worshiped God. What's the next thing he lost? He lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his health. Look at chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself to the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered and said, Lord, he said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. And he said, let me tell you something, Lord. He's not broken yet. He refuses to be broken, but I will break him. Because I will curse him in such a way that he will curse your name to your face and and he will not care. Because I'm going to take his health. And God said to him, He said, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So God said, You can do anything you want to, but you can't kill him. So look at verse 7. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat there. Listen to this. He was, he was stricken with boils. You ever had a boil? You ever had a risin? What we call risins, right? And a boil is painful. But he has stricken from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Medical researchers have called it elephant phantiasis. Elephant phantiasis. It is still something that's prevalent today in certain parts of the world. And it is a boil. It comes from a mosquito bite that injects this particular thing into your system like a little worm. It begins to eat away and eat away and eat away at your insides. And sometimes your legs will swell to enormous sizes or your arms will swell that way. And it is painful, very, very painful. And Job had that. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Think about that. Think about the pain he must have been in. Just think about if if you have any other kind of disease, If you have any kind of disease and it hurts, think about that times many. He was in pain constantly. He took a pot shirt and he began to scrape the boils to let them drain. You know what a pot shirt is? It's a piece of ceramic, like from a broken pot. And he began to scrape those boils so they could drain. And as he was doing that, verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, "You speak as one foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity?" And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He still did not sin with his lips. He still did not curse God and God. Now let's give Job's wife a break. She lost 10 children. She lost 10 children. She gave birth to every one of them and lost her children. So I, I, she is in pain herself. But she goes to, we want to make her a villain, but she's not a villain. She is a woman who is hurting desperately. So look again at the rest of that chapter. Look at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard this, this, this adversity, they had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shumite, Zophar the Naamite. And they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. When they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, he looked so pitiful. They lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Notice this. Job lost his wealth. Job lost his health. Job lost his family. And now here he is. And Job is about to lose his dignity. Because if these guys had stayed where they were and occupied the place of being quiet, being quiet before God, and just listening and being with Job without saying a word, it would have been great. But they didn't. Because from chapter 11 to chapter 15, they began to criticize him. Job, things have been so terrible. You've had so much going on with your life you must have displeased God somewhere. Have you ever felt that way? I used to hear people say all the time, why is God punishing me with this health problem? Why is He punishing me? I don't know of anything I've done wrong. And sometimes people feel that way because He is so powerful. And yet here, they are criticizing Job. In fact, Bildad in chapter 8 said, Job, what sin have you committed? Zophar said, what sin have you committed? You need to repent, Job. All of them said the same thing to Job. And Job was losing his dignity before his three best friends. Wow. Good thing. Job eventually lost his perspective on God. I'm going to give you some Scriptures and so you can write these down if you want to. Job 23, verses 3 and 4. Job 24, verse 1. Job 13, verses 23 through 24. So after all this horrible physical suffering, after all of these false accusations against him, Job begins, listen, to challenge God. And he says, and I'm just going to give you the paraphrase of that in uh, verses 23 through uh, 3 and 4. He says, Lord, I want the opportunity, the chance to stand before you, to stand before you and ask you, why? If you're an all-powerful God, why? Why? And then in verse 20, chapter 24, verse 1, He says, if you know everything, if you know everything, why did you allow this to happen to me? Paraphrase. Chapter 13, verse 23. He says to God, He says, if you are omnipresent, if you are with me, why don't I feel you? Why don't I feel you? So he challenged God in three ways. He challenged His omnipotence, His power. He challenged His omniscience, His knowledge, His all-knowing. 21 verse 12, Can anyone teach God knowledge since He is the King? Can anyone teach God knowledge? No, no one can. He is all-knowing. He challenges His omnipresence by saying, why don't I feel you? Why are you not with me? And can I tell you something this morning? No one, no one is away from the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, or the omnipresence of God. He is with everyone in this world in His fullness at one time. God is still with you whether you feel Him or not. He is still there. So I want to give you three or four lessons that I've learned from the book of Job. Four lessons. Number one, Job teaches us how to deal with adversity. Job teaches us how to deal with adversity. In the first place, he grieved well. He fell to the earth and he worshiped God. He fell to the earth. We get praise and worship mixed up, folks. I mean, sometimes we have to offer the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we praise when we don't feel like praising. That's a sacrifice. But worship is more than that. Worship is your total focus on God and believing that he is. There's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Robert Helmfeld, one of my one of my professors in my clinical work, psychologist, talks about grief. And some of you have heard me say this before. I use it a lot. He says three things you know about grief. Anything you lose, you grieve. It might be a job. It might be a pet. It might be something else. It might be a dream. But we know the ultimate loss is losing a loved one, right? But anything you lose, you grieve. And the second thing he said was this. He says, grief is a journey of the heart, not the intellect. You don't analyze. You don't think your way through it. You don't do that. You just feel the grief and you feel it and you work your way through it that way. And the third thing he said was this. When you get to the end of the grief process, there's resolution, forgiveness, and letting go. And he says letting go is not the same thing as endorsement. Letting go is saying, not saying I'm glad it happened. Letting go is saying now I can accept the reality of that. The second thing he did, not only did he grieve well, but he worshipped God. You see, when he fell on his knees and he worshipped, he was trying to bring God into his situation. Because when we see God and we ask Him, He will come, and we don't always feel it. Job didn't always feel it, but God was there. And the second lesson I learned from the book of Job is this. Job teaches us the right way and the wrong way. To comfort other people in their time of grief, the right way and the wrong way to comfort other people in their time of grief. Grief, in chapter two and verse thirteen, when those three friends came, they did the right thing in the beginning. They sat down with with Job. They gave him their presence, just being present with him. That's the right way comfort other people who are grieving. Just being there. I remember in my first church, I had never done a funeral before and I got called from school to come back and do a funeral for Paul Baxley. I'll never forget him. And his, his wife, Miss Garen Baxley, she was she a was tall woman. She was almost six foot. She was a, a big bone woman. And I remember going all the way back 40 miles going, God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I've never done a funeral before. I've never dealt with, dealt with a death before. And she taught me the greatest lesson I've ever learned. I walked up that sidewalk and I said, "Miss Garen, I don't know what to say. She said, honey, you don't have to say anything. Just your presence says it all, that you care. And that's so important to understand. Now the wrong way to try to comfort someone is to try to give them advice. I know what you're going through. You'll get through it. It'll be all right, and listen, and please don't take this the wrong way for goodness sake, in that moment when they're going through that tragedy, do not quote Romans 8.28 to them. God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to His promise. They don't want to hear that at that point. They don't need advice. They don't need direction at that point. They're going through that particular grief process. Now I will tell you this. If you have been through what they're going through right now, if you've lost a child, if you've lost in certain ways that they've lost, you know what? You don't have to say where there's an identity, there's, there's an immediate identification with them. They know that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God of our Lord and Jesus Christ. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of all mercies, the Father of all comfort. And He comforts us so we can comfort other people who are going through that particular thing. If you've been through it, you can say, I know, and they'll know that you know, right? Don't comfort them by giving them advice. Don't comfort them at that moment by quoting Scripture to them. Just say, I'm here, and I believe God is going to help you through. That's all you've got to say. It helps them so much. The third thing I've noticed in going through this particular book, the third lesson I've learned is this. It's not always a sin to ask God. It's not always a sin to ask God. You know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, He says about faith, He says, if we need wisdom, we can ask God for wisdom. And If we ask God for wisdom, He said, God will give it to us liberally and He will help us as long as we truly believe. Now, let me tell you this. This is what I've learned from my own life. What I've learned is He may be a long time in giving you that answer. He may be a long time in in giving you wisdom because wisdom is seeing how things fit together. When we started New Beginning Church, my heart was broken. It was broken. And I wept for a year. And I did ask God why. God, I'm so hurt. I've invested my life here. I've done this here. Why did You want me to do this? And you know what I saw? After that, here's what I saw. God said your whole life, all of your education, everything that you've done have prepared you for this place. When I saw it, peace flooded my life. Because I would not be anywhere else than with you guys. I love being here. I love the vision we have a place of healing and hope. I love that. Because it, you support it and you pray for me. And I'm so thankful for that. And the last thing I notice is this. Repentance and forgiveness are the key to restoration. Look, if you would, at the last chapter of Job. Job chapter 42. Job goes through a period of talking to God and going, you know, in a sense, in a sense he's saying, I don't, I don't quite understand this. I don't quite understand this. And notice what what the Bible says. God says to Job, He says, Can you create all these things? Can you do this, Job? Can you create the mountains? Can you create the mountain goats? Can you do all of these things? And Job says in chapter 42, He says, I know you can do everything, and that no purpose, verse 1, of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? And Job says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. See there? I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and therefore I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Listen to Job chapter 23 and verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has has tested me, I shall come out as pure gold. What happened? God said to Job's three friends, you guys are wrong. You guys are wrong. You need to go to Job right now. You need to make restitution. You need to repent. And I'm going to let him offer sacrifices for you. And when he does, you will know then it's okay. In verse 10, and the Lord Lord restored Job's losses. He restored his losses. And when he prayed for his friends, when he prayed for his friends, indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We serve a God who is able. A God who can do things that we can never conceive with our human minds. But we're going to go through loss in life. We're going to have some terrible losses, some significant losses in life. But I want to tell you something. God is still there. Whether you feel Him or not, He is still there with